You are listening to MCC Votes and Seats, the podcast series of the Center for Political Science of Matthias Corvinus Collegium. We provide election insights with experts and politicians. Today, we are going to talk about the legislative elections that were held in the Russian Federation from the 17th to the 19th of September 2021. This time, our guest expert and country guide is Mr. Anton Bendarzhevsky, an expert of foreign affairs and security policies. Mr. Bendarzhevsky was born in Belarus and is living in Hungary since 1995. His topic is the integration process in the post-Soviet region. Mr. Bendarzhevsky has published over 500 articles and analyses Hey Anton, how are you doing? It is good to have you with us. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Hi Balin, thank you very much for the introduction. I'm really happy to, to be here. So as to start, the voting lasted for three days owing to the COVID-19 pandemic. President Vladimir Putin's United Russia party had won nearly 50% of the vote, marking a slight drop in support from the previous election. The results seem to provide the winning party a clear parliamentary majority. United Russia's victory means it will have more than two-thirds of the 450 seats in the lower house of the Federal Assembly, the State Duma. United Russia's closest rival, the Communist Party of the Russian Federation, gained about 19% of the vote. The Communists, who predominantly support Vladimir Putin's legislative initiatives, saw their support grow about 6%. How would you describe the values and interests that United Russia stands for? United Russia stands uh, somewhere in the middle. Since uh, 2003, the party list in, present in the parliament is unchanged. There are four parties, which are also called systemic, systematic parties, because on paper they are oppositional, but on most important questions, they usually support United Russia. The Communist Party, which is present on the, on the left, and then the, there are the Liberal Democrats, which is uh, like very nationalistic party, which promotes bringing back the monarchy and Russia. Sometimes they even express the wish for Putin to become a king of Russia, something like that. And this is oppositional party, actually. So they present the very right of Russian politics. And then there is a Just Russia party. I would describe it as a mix of United Russia and uh, with some communist or let's say social values taken from the Communist Party. Since 2003, this system is unchanged. There were no new political forces, new political parties which managed to get into the, the State Duma. This year, the situation changed. There is uh, one new party called the New People. It just got enough votes to manage to get in the parliament, 5.3%. This party can be called also systemic party because they have very good connections to the Kremlin. And this party tries to represent young people who accept liberal values. So basically, it looks like this party was created in 2016 to get votes from the liberal opposition led by uh, Alexei Navalny. You mentioned that the Communist Party often supports directly or indirectly the initiatives of the government. Plus, its ideological background includes patriotism and nostalgia for the old Soviet Union times. But what differences do we see between the voter camp of the Communist Party and that of the ruling United Russia? The Communist Party, in the last 20 years, the support of the party was decreasing. Many analysts said that, well, that's because they are supported by all the population and since This, uh, the pensioners and yeah, the older people, they are, their life cycle is going to the end and then the support of the party is decreasing. 
And now suddenly we see that the party became the second biggest political force in Russia. They managed to get 19% of the votes. It's quite a significant increase in their presence in the parliament. So it shows that they managed to get new supporters, new voters. They can formulate clear messages which are in opposition to the United Russia. Well, if we see, for example, Liberal Democrats and that party has lost a lot since the last elections. It's hard to distinguish their messages from United Russia's. Basically, they have messages which are supported by not so big part of Russian population. And in a way, it's similar to part of United Russia's messages. On the other hand, the Communist Party, they managed to get the votes from people who believe in social justice. That's one part of the votes. They have those messages which the liberal opposition has. On the other hand, they have this nostalgia for the Soviet Union. They say that everybody has to be like on equal rights. Everybody has to get free education. Another important point is that in 2018, there was a big pensional reform in Russia. The pension age increased quite dramatically. And after that time, the United Russia support dropped. And the Communist Party, on the other hand, since that time, they can say that, uh, well, it was a big mistake and we need to bring back all the benefits for the pensioners and decrease again the age. With this program, they managed to distinguish themselves from the ruling party. As you already addressed it, right-wing populism, nationalism and social conservatism is primarily represented by the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, LDPR. This time, LDPR gained 7.5%, that is 5.6% less than in 2016. What might be the reason for the declining popularity for LDPR? In my opinion, it's because the foreign policy thematic is not so important now in Russia than the social questions and economic questions. The last elections were in 2016, uh, two years after Russia sized Crimea. And actually, the party, Liberal Democrats, they were supporting the decision and they had these very strong messages that we need to get back all the territories from the age of uh, the Tsarist monarchy. They said that we need to do even more than Putin did in 2014 when uh, Russia sized Crimea. And they said we need to get back the Baltics. We need to get Eastern Ukraine and so on. At that time, questions of foreign policy dominated the politics. The, the situation was similar in previous uh, years when the quality of life was increasing, the income of the population was increasing. So economically, the situation was going well. Now the situation is different because after Crimea came the Western sanctions, Russian economy increased in a tiny bit. And at the same time, the inflation was very high, the income was decreasing, uh, the costs were increasing. So foreign policy is not important now at this stage anymore. But the social questions, the questions of economy is something which is important. The liberal Democrats, they're not really offering a solution for this part. Talking about social issues and the economic crisis, turning to the center left, these questions in the Russian Federation are normally addressed by the Yabloko and the Just Russia for Truth parties besides the communists. Just Russia for Truth finished at the fourth place in the ballot, receiving 7.5% of the vote. In your opinion, why did Yabloko lose ground vis-a-vis -vis the Just Russia for Truth party? Yabloko never managed to get in the parliament in the last 20 years, and their support is even decreasing. This is because Yabloko 
This is the party which is called really oppositional party, and it uh, for several years it still manage manages to uh, to participate in elections because there are a lot of parties. Let's say Navani's formation, they never became a party because uh, every time they tried to create a party, they were rejected. Yabloko is not this case. This party doesn't support other oppositional forces. Still talking about the so-called systemic parties, the newcomer center-right Liberal Party called New People that you already mentioned earlier gained 5.32% that provides them 13 seats from the party list. At least four center-right parties ran in the 2021 election. Why the old political actors failed to enter parliament and what do you think is the secret of success for new people? Well, probably the main secret is because they were supported by the ruling elites. Some sources uh, tell that they have very good connections to the Kremlin and the sources tell that uh, this party, it was created uh, with a clear purpose to get votes from the opposition led by Alexei Navalny. So they were trying to target especially the voters below 30 years age, above 18 and uh, up to 30 years age, who actually thought that this can be a good alternative. Because this younger population, they don't vote for communist party. Probably they are not the main supporters of liberal democrats. Well, just Russia is supported also by like pensioners and people in older ages. So against United Russia, this party seemed a good alternative. In the last few months, there were a lot of articles in Russian press, I guess by purpose, that this Novaya Ludi party, the New People Party, they are increasing their support, they are growing bigger and bigger, and they have real chance to get into the parliament. So I believe that people who wanted to vote for uh, some kind of liberal alternative of United Russia, they seen a new party, which looks like they managed to get into the parliament. Before June, we didn't really see any messages or any real campaign from this party. So all of a sudden, in the last three months, they just blown into the Russian politics and they managed to get into the parliament since, uh, well, almost after 20 years. I see. So it's a delicate game going on in Russia, hunting for the votes of the youth. Besides the ones mentioned earlier, no other parties or election platforms managed to enter the State Duma in September 2021. Environmentalism is covered in Russia by the ecological parties, the Greens and the Green Alternative. Could you tell us why the Green issues do not resonate among Russian voters enough to bring these issues to parliamentary representation. I believe the issues of uh, green policy is more a question of well-developed, richer countries. In Russia, there are other questions which uh, considered much more problematic. And on the other hand, there is a real big issue with uh, the political representation, with the questions of democracy, the questions of fair elections, and so on. So until all these issues are addressed, until at least Russia has really fair democratic elections, uh, until the population is not in economic crisis, let's say. Until these questions are addressed, uh, environmentalism and uh, green policies will remain marginal topics for Russia. Now, let's talk a bit about the election system and procedure in Russia. Half of the State Duma is elected through legislative constituencies. The other 225 seats are elected through party lists. Each federal subject of the Russian Federation gets a certain amount of constituencies proportional to their population. Every constituency is a single mandate one, so each constituency sends one representative to the State Duma. 
For the first time since 1993, election observers from the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe were not present due to limitations imposed by Russian authorities. Experts say that the elections were not properly monitored nor conducted in a free and fair way. The election saw a number of cities introduce electronic voting. However, in Moscow, for example, some Communist Party candidates lost leads when electronic votes were declared at the last minute. There were reports of ballot stuffing and forced voting. Over the three days of polling, there were allegations of widespread electoral fraud, including threats against election observers. Also, in eastern Ukrainian territories controlled by pro-Russia separatists, residents with Russian citizenship were allowed to vote. The United Russia Party campaigned in the self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic, where half a million Russian passports had been received by local residents. In general, was the 2021 Duma election different from the previous ones in terms of electoral freedom and procedural irregularities? Unfortunately, yes, I, I think so. I think there were no Russian elections in the last 20 years, which uh, I could say that uh, uh, it was really without any problems and fair and free. However, all the civil organizations uh, tell that uh, this year the elections were exceptionally problematic. One part is everything which happened before the elections. If we talk briefly about this topic, the limitation of different organizations and different politicians to participate in elections, like Navani's organization was closed. They were uh, announced as extremists. Quite strangely, backwards, everybody who was participating in this organization in, in any way, backwards, they were claimed to be extremists, and that's why they were prohibited to take part in elections. We are talking about tens of thousands of people who were not allowed to participate in elections. There was a real pressure on the media, independent media outlets, which are not connected to the government. They were announced as foreign organizations, and that's why they lost a big half of their advertisement market. They lost their sources. And this happened starting from March, April this year. And there were some other issues like blocking the Twitter. They slowed it down because they uh, asked to remove some content. Twitter didn't uh, accept it. And then the Russian officials slowed down the, the Twitters. And then we came to the time of the elections. The elections were three days long. So by itself, this helped Russian officials to mobilize people because when you have only one day, it's hard to bring all the army. In Russia, the state is the biggest employee, which gives them opportunity to mobilize all the state workers and to give them incentives to vote for the ruling party. When you have only one day to do so, it's much more difficult than when you have three days. For example, Friday is a working day, right? So on a working day, it's quite easy to get everybody, every employees who are working for you and uh, take them to the voting stations. For example, on Friday afternoon, the Russian army reported that 99.8% of army already made their votes on the elections. They switched off the web cameras, which was an interesting step because in 2012, by the decree of Vladimir Putin, they installed web cameras in each and every voting station in Russia. They tried 
to increase the credibility of the elections. And now this year, they said that, well, we don't need web cameras anymore. Electronic elections, that was another big, let's say, source of possible manipulations, because all the results of electronic elections, they, they've seen it in advance. Well, it was the much easier, right, to, to get all the electronic votes than the votes from the, the ballot stations. And then these results were not published up until the morning of election day, probably because they've seen the results which are coming in from the places. And for example, on these results in Moscow, all the candidates participating in the smart elections, they were leading and they were mostly communist parties candidates. And uh, after that, they published the results. Uh, it was closer to the morning, Monday morning. They published the results of electronic elections. And all of a sudden, it changed and uh, the ruling party's candidates were winning. So probably they were fine-tuning the system after seeing the results coming in. All of this gave much broader opportunities for the ruling party to manipulate the elections. Yeah. So uh, as far as the circumstances are considered, this election was different in many ways from the previous ones. But if we take a look at the electoral participation, is there any divide between the different uh, layers of the society, such as urban and rural areas, European and Siberian territories, Christian and Muslim population, older and younger generations, and so on? Well, it's really hard to tell because the participation the turnout was really similar than five years ago in 2016. At that time it was 47% and now it's 50 or 51% of the turnout. It's pretty similar. However, because of all these possible manipulations, we can't really tell how much percent of the population really gave their vote and how much of these votes were changed or manipulated. Among Russian experts or political experts, you can read really quite a broad range of not predictions, but calculations that how much percent of the votes were actually stolen. And it goes from 10% up to 30 Because of all these opportunities for manipulation, you can't really tell what was the real difference in turnout. However, what you can tell, unlike in Belarus, in Russia, there are still opinion polls, which show that the support of the ruling party is really low. It decreased a lot. And even by the governmental the institutions conducting opinion polls, it was measured around 28 to 30%. Estimation says that usually when the people go to vote, it's higher. So we could estimate that it could be 35 or even like 38%. Well, in the end, they got on the party list votings, they got almost 50% of the votes, which is pretty big difference uh, to the opinion polls. The same for the mandates. The big question of when I was asked uh, before the elections, what is at stake at uh, elections? Anyway, the ruling party will win, right? Yes, it looked like they will win, but the big question was if they get the constitutional majority or not. Because in the Russian parliament, there are 450 mandates and you need 300 mandates to get the constitutional majority. According to all of the opinion polls conducted before the elections, the polls show that United Russia could get at most 270 or 280 mandates which is not enough for constitutional majority. And then in the end, they got 324. This is quite a big difference, right? So we, we can tell if either the opinion polls were so wrong 
or really big manipulations were taking place in the election? Yeah, it's a very difficult question and talking about opinion polls and calculations. Now let's move to the smart voting initiative you mentioned earlier. Mr. Navalny and his allies had called on Russians to vote tactically, in many cases for Communist Party candidates. They believed could defeat incumbents from United Russia. They introduced the smart voting app that was later removed from online application stores on the first day of the election. Can we state that Mr. Navalny's delicate situation was one of the major drivers of the campaign? And in your opinion, what were the main keywords and slogans in the campaign? Well, I think the situation of Navalny resonated only in the capital, in Moscow, in St. Petersburg, and probably in some other bigger cities of, of Russia. Otherwise, the majority of the population don't really care about Navalny. He became a known figure, especially after his poisoning last year because of the smart voting. The political forces around Navalny, they managed to get votes away from the ruling party, from United Russia. Uh, so he became increasingly popular. But I wouldn't say that this kind of narrative dominated uh, the campaign or, or the Russian uh, politics. If we are talking about the smart elections, what was the big idea behind it? They are taking all the different voting territories and checking the candidates present there. Well, the main idea is they're trying to find a candidate which can stand against United Russia. Nothing else matters. Communist Party is currently the second biggest political force in, in Russia, managing to have messages which distinguish this party from United Russia. So because of that, in most of the cases, actually they pick the communist candidate for this uh, smart voting. So this is actually the biggest critic against smart voting and Navalny's tactic, because on one hand, he can manage to get new people because uh, opposition connected to Navalny, they can't participate in the elections, they don't have a party and so on. So they're trying to stick into the existing system and to existing candidates. On the other hand, all this tactic favorizing the communist candidates. And then on the long run, we can discuss if, if this is a real alternative for United Russia or Vladimir Putin. I understand. We have only one question left that is about possible government formation scenarios. At the June 2021 pre-election party congress, President Vladimir Putin proposed for the party's federalist for the elections, Mr. Sergei Shoigu, defense minister, Mr. Sergei Lavrov, foreign minister, Mr. Denis Protsenko, head doctor of uh, Russia's main coronavirus hospital, Yelena Shmeliova, co-chair of the All Russia People's Front, and uh, Anna Kuznetsova, children's rights commissioner. Medvedev did not top the list. Based on what is known so far, would you be the kind to briefly draft some of your expectations about the composition of the new government of the Russian Federation? Well, it's really hard to do so on this stage, but uh, probably I would say that Dmitry Medvedev will not remain the leader of the United Russia. It was quite an insult to him, actually, that he's the leader of United Russia and he was not appointed to the top list of the party candidates uh, in the party list. And it was done publicly on a big uh, United Russia summit. So it was a clear insult to Dmitry Medvedev, uh, actually because his popular popularity is really low. So that's why, let's say, Putin tried to... Uh, well, Medvedev is his important partner, so he won't remove him completely from Russian politics. But you can't run a campaign of uh, parliamentary elections based on a candidate which has a really low popularity in the population. 
he's still the party leader. So probably the, this is going to be uh, the next change that the party leader will be changed. We can know who will be the new leader. I guess it won't be neither Shoigu, neither Lavrov, because the politicians who were appointed uh, as a top list, because they, they are actually popular politicians. Lavrov is representing the foreign ministry since 2004. Shoigu is, uh, well, appointed as, I don't remember, 91 or 93 since that time. He is uh, uh, holding different ministerial positions, so he's quite a famous figure in Russia. He's quite popular, so that's why the campaign was based on this, uh, these people. However, on the, on the other hand, uh, it's uh, for a long time, uh, people are also saying that maybe Lavrov will leave because he's, uh, he's older. But uh, we can tell that for sure because actually he's quite experienced politicians and he is, uh, let's say, properly representing the current direction of Russian foreign policy. Probably the best bet would be the change in the leadership of the ruling party. And then regarding the ministers, it's, it's really hard to tell because the ministers who are now the, the most prominent figures of, of the current cabinet, they're quite popular. So it's too early to talk about a possible composition of the new government. Anton Bendarzewski, thank you very much for sharing your most appreciated thoughts with us. The valuable insights you provided definitely helped us understand better the current party politics in the Russian Federation. We wish you all good luck for your future endeavors. It was great to talk to you. Thank you very much. It was a really interesting discussion. Thank you.